as they transpire. We're uh, wrapping up uh, our first series together. If you're a guest with us, then uh, you should know that I recently became the senior pastor of Community Church. Uh, so excited to be here. My wife is not here this morning. Uh, she's on assignment uh, in Texas. Uh, she uh, surprised our daughters by showing up at our oldest daughter's bridal shower yesterday. I got to see a little video clip of it. It was awesome because uh, it just wrecked my oldest daughter and uh, messed her makeup up and all of that. Uh, my wife sent me a, a message and just said, it is so hot here. <laughs> so I think she's coming anxiously back uh, to Gunnison and uh, so happy uh, to be here with you guys. So we've been in the series called Essentials, where we've been talking about uh, looking to the scriptures to figure out what it is that God means by uh, this idea of abundant life, uh, and then uh, that those same things translate into the making of a healthy church. And, and so in this series, we've been searching the scriptures to know more fully who God is, how much he loves us, how much he cares for us, and how much he wants to build uh, into our lives. All of these great things that God has done for us. I think the best snapshot of what God has done for us uh, is a verse that led me to the Lord, and that's John 3.16. Uh, John 3.16 uh, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So uh, this, this gift that God has given us, first, that he would love us. I mean, some of us are not altogether lovely. Uh, and yet, Scripture tells us time and time again that we are loved. This is why it's so important to pour this message into young people. To know that a God that they don't know yet, perhaps, loves them immensely. Uh, God loves us. And yet his love isn't just a, a, a verbal overture. His love led him to do something for us because uh, we were born into sin and separated from him. And yet God loves us enough that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus comes into the world, lives a perfect life, uh, and, and then dies a perfect death in our place so that you and I might be forgiven and invited into a relationship with God, to be adopted as sons and daughters in his family. What an incredible gift that God would give us. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 actually says uh, that God's gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this idea that we've been talking about of abundant life actually begins in coming to know him. Romans chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, uh, I, I love this particular uh, phrasing uh, from a paraphrase. It says, you were saved by faith in God who treated us much better than we deserve. This is God's gift to you and not anything you have done on your own. It isn't something you have earned, so there's nothing you can do to brag about it. God planned for us to do good things and to live as he always wanted us to live. That's why he sent Christ to come and make us what we are. So these incredible gifts, God is, uh, Jesus Christ is God's greatest gift to you. But what I want to talk about today uh, is uh, the greatest opportunity that you and I have of showing devotion and love back to God. God has given us two great gifts that kind of solidify uh, this transaction. It's called the great exchange in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the, this exchange where we leave a life of lostness and sinfulness and embark upon abundant life is a life that is rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 is it's, it's nothing that we've done. It's just God's gift. 
And yet God has given us the opportunity to show love and devotion back to him. So I thought, what a great day for us to just press in a little more and, and, and check our understanding about these two rites of passage that God has given uh, you and I as Christ followers, uh, the rite of baptism and the rite of communion. And it's as we experience these rites, uh, as we experience our own baptism, as we experience communion, uh, that we show through these means a devotion and love back to our good God. Additionally, these two things communicate something to the watching world. Both of them have a, a testimonial uh, element. Both of them communicate something uh, of the gospel. So what I want to do for just a few moments is talk about uh, the rite of communion uh, and the rite of baptism. One is a single uh, uh, initiatory rite, and that is baptism. It, it happens at the beginning of your journey. It's not something that you do over and over again. The other, though, is an ongoing celebratory exercise. Now, the normal flow of our relationship with God would mean that I would start here and I would work my way over here. But uh, for the way our service needs to work today, I'm going to speak first to uh, this ongoing celebratory rite, sorry, over here, and then I'm going to speak to the uh, initial single act of baptism. So uh, communion is where we'll start in Luke chapter 22. And if you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there, but the verses will be on the side screen. Communion is the first great gift, uh, I'm sorry, the second great gift that God has given us, but it's the great gift that impacts all of us, and it's something that we do on a regular basis. It's an ongoing celebration of our discovery of the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Uh, Communion is a a memorial. Uh, And unlike baptism, which is about an individual's commitment, communion is intensely communal. Like, it's intended for you and I to experience together because it's in communion that we have this beautiful picture of, of all of us standing at level, on level footing at the foot of the cross. We're all here together. We're all reminded that it's the same means whereby we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, and this has made us one uh, horizontally as his church. And, and so as we come together, uh, it's the celebration of God's goodness and grace uh, that has been made available to us in Christ. If you were to ask me to sum up what communion uh, is about, I would use the word uh, remember. Remember. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus gathers with the disciples in the upper room. This is just prior to his arrest, uh, his brutal beating, and his subsequent crucifixion and death. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus says, the scripture says, he took the bread, and when he had broken or given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I want you to imagine for just a moment being in the upper room with Jesus. I want you to imagine seeing him take the bread from the center of the table and demonstrably break it. And it's in the breaking that then he says, this is something more than a loaf of bread. This is a symbol. This is, this is my body, which is about to be broken for you. And what I'm giving to you is a way to remember what I've done for you. So as often as you take the bread, do it in remembrance of me. I don't think that it should be lost in a Christ follower when uh, you're eating, you're finishing up, let's say, roast potatoes and carrots with some good gravy, and you tear a piece of bread to make a sop. That's what we called it. To make a sop. I don't think it ought to be lost on you that you're tearing bread, and it ought to give you a visual of what happened to Christ on your account. Jesus says, remember me. 
That's what communion is. And then verse 20, he continues, it says in verse 20, And likewise, he took the cup after that they had eaten, saying, This cup is being poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus takes bread, he breaks it and says, This is like my body. And then he takes the cup and he says, I know this is just a, a goblet of wine, but it's a symbolic. It, it's, it, this is my blood, which is going to be poured out for you. Uh, as the remission of sin. The Old Testament says, apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So what was going to happen to Jesus in a broken body and shed blood had to happen in order for you and I to be forgiven, for our sins to be covered. And so in communion, Jesus says, not only does he give us this rite of passage that we celebrate together, the goodness and grace of God, he also says he's not going to partake of it again until he does it with all of us together. And it's in communion that Jesus, I think, is simply saying, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I've done for you. Now, can you imagine that? It seems completely preposterous that the disciples would sit in the upper room and watch this and then three, and then the very next day watch the, the, the master they had followed be brutally beaten and crucified and killed and that it would ever cross their minds to forget that. Doesn't that seem like a ridiculous request? Don't forget me? Are you kidding me? And yet Jesus knows the human tendency for forgetfulness. The truth is, we have short attention spans. Our memories fade. And when our memories fade, our worship diminishes. And when our worship diminishes, so too does our wonder. And when our wonder is gone, then suddenly our walk is no longer what it should be. And so Jesus says, remember me. Remember me often. And when you remember me, you will find that your worship will be elevated. You will find that your sense of wonder for who I am and how much I care for you and what I've done for you will be expansive. And that, in turn, will impact your walk. This is the celebration that God has given us in communion. Remembrance is a vital part of the human experience. We, We build memorials for things that we want to remember, things that are significant that should not be forgotten. We take pictures, especially these days, since everybody and their uncle has a camera in their hand. We take pictures all the time. I love having pictures of my kids. I love to look at them and, and to reminisce memories. But you know what? Uh, the memorials is, is not the thing. It's not the places you've been. Uh, it's not the experiences you've had. The pictures are about the people. That's what communion is. It, it's, it's something more significant than bread and juice. It's about the person the person who hopefully you know as Savior and Lord who's changed your life. And so Jesus says at communion, remember me. I want to ask the members of the executive committee to come, and we're going to take communion right now. And as they come, I want to talk to you for just a minute uh, about commitment. I want to answer two quick questions, and then we will celebrate communion together. Now, as I pass this out, let me give you a little bit of instruction. Uh, I'd like you to hold on to the bread. I know you might be hungry, but don't take it. We're going to do it all together. The two on the outside. Thank you all. Go ahead. You You guys can go. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, gentlemen. So as the elements are coming your way, I know you're multitasking here, but I want to talk to you about commitment. 
at Community Church, uh, we're committed to the celebration of God's goodness and greatness, and we do it on at least a monthly basis. You can know uh, that every first Sunday, we're going to take communion together. Uh, this is a first Sunday. It happens to be an all-in Sunday when all the student ministry and children's ministry stay in with us. So we will celebrate communion no less than 12 times a year because it's an important part of remembering Jesus. But additionally, there will be seasons where we will do communion uh, like at a Good Friday service or maybe especially on the Sunday prior to Christmas or maybe around Thanksgiving. We'll, we'll do it at different times, all for the purpose of being reminded afresh and anew what our Savior did for us, what the high price that heaven paid so that I might be a child of God, so that you might be a child of God. So when it comes to commitment, can I just encourage you that of all the times you would make a special effort to be in God's house, it should be when we're honoring the Lord who gave himself for us, when we're memorializing his broken body and his shed blood. Could I ask you to make that commitment? Because two things are impacted by your presence. Number one, as I said, it's a way to give testimony to what God has done. So when you and I are here, we take the bread and we take the cup. We are saying to those sitting around us, to the world that's watching or not, Jesus Christ is my Redeemer. I owe my life to Him. He is my allegiance. And I join with my brothers and sisters in worshiping Him today. That's what communion is. Second, when you're gone, when you're not here, you're missed. Each of us have the opportunity of ministering to one another uh, in our presence. So I, I just want to challenge you that when communion is being served, uh, circle the calendar, make an effort to be here. Now, two quick questions, and then we'll celebrate together. Number one, who should take communion? Well, communion is, is a, a, a rite of passage for those who have come to know the Lord. So uh, it stands to reason that unless you're a Christ follower, then you really shouldn't take communion. It just stands to reason, does it not? That when we want to honor someone, we tend to honor those that we have a relationship with. And the same thing is true here, that the broken body and the shed blood is only meaningful to us when we've come to discover that it is the cure for my sin. If you're not there yet, that's okay. You're on the Holy Spirit's clock. He'll get you there when he's ready to. But in the meantime, uh, communion is really not a right for those who don't know the Lord. I don't mean that as a right versus uh, like a privilege, I mean it as a rite of passage. So primarily, the scriptures would have us teach that it's for the Christ follower. The second question is, how should I prepare? And this is the reason why some regularity in our schedule is important because uh, scriptures tell us, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, uh, says that we ought to examine ourselves before we take the Lord's table. So if Jesus Christ, having left the splendors of heaven given up everything to clothe himself in flesh like you and I, living a life subject to every kind of temptation and pressure and trouble as you and I experience, yet without sin. If he has given himself so fully that we might be born again, that we might be saved from our sin, then we ought to come in such a way as my participation in this act honors him. You guys can come on back up. So... 
1 Corinthians 11.28 says, uh, let a person examine himself. So I, I would say there's four things that you ought to do prior to taking communion. Hopefully you came prepared this morning. <clears throat> the first is self-examination. Uh, in self-examination, it's like uh, looking at yourself in the mirror. Thank you. Give me just a second. You guys want to take a piece? Don't leave you out. So in uh, self-examination, it's like looking in the mirror to say, you know, is my life measuring up to what I've committed to? As I committed to follow the Lord and I know that he redeemed me from my sins, I know that the whole point is for me to walk away from sinfulness. Now, all of us are sinners. If you didn't repent this week, then you need to catch up. I did a couple of times myself. Uh, it's just part of who we are. But in repentance, um, do we need another one? There it is right there. All right. So in repentance, uh, we're reminded of the need to come back to the cross. And Martin Luther said, echoing the Lord's words in, in the Gospel of Luke, that when Jesus said what it meant to, be, uh, to do the will of God was to repent and believe, he was saying that the daily task of a Christ follower is to repent over your sin and believe. It's not that you're being saved again, it's just that you're living close to the cross because that's what changes you. That's what makes it happen. And so self-examination is just where I say, God, how did I do this week? What is it that I, where is it that I fell short What's the secret thing I keep holding on to that I know you want me to get rid of? And in doing that, then we come to confession. That's the second thing. So we confess our sins, and that's primarily about confessing to the Lord. He's the one who forgives us. Scripture also commends us, though, uh, when in need or when our sin has affected someone else, to confess our sins to others. So confessing our sin. And, and then uh, communion is about recommitting myself to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, number three. Just want to get up tomorrow. You know what the problem with, the, you know, uh, Paul uh, says in Romans chapter 12 that we're like living sacrifices. You know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? It wants to crawl off the altar. So every morning you've got to get back on the altar, and that's what communion is. It's a recommitment. And then finally, uh, it's the commitment to make relationships that have been wronged or hurt right. And so we, there's action that flows out of communion. So Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you take this, do it in remembrance of me. So this morning, church, with bread in hand, we remember the sacrifice of our Savior's life, and we take the bread. When they had taken the bread, Jesus took the cup, and he said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. It's a whole new way of doing life. It's not just a drink. It's a whole new way of doing life. That what was going to happen through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that the Spirit of God was going to move upon us in such a way that we'd be convicted of our sin, of righteousness, and of judgment to come. He would woo us to Christ, and in Christ, He would make us God's own. This because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, in as much as the world may not understand it, we here understand the necessity of His shed blood. And as we take the cup, we do it in remembrance of him. You may drink.
So the second is uh, baptism. And baptism also is a great gift. Baptism uh, is the single initiatory rite. Uh, it is that one-time uh, step that we take after coming to know the Lord. So once we've experienced the gospel, that is, once we understand that we uh, were born in a sinful state, separated from a holy God, that he has issues with us because of that, but that he loves us and has sent his son Jesus Christ to, to be the redemption from our sin, and we trust Jesus alone, not our good works, not our charitable contributions, not the fact that we're squared away or we've, had, we've been morally decent people with a good career. When we trust Jesus Christ alone and we've humbled ourselves before the Father, then what follows naturally is the step of obeying Him. And that's what baptism is. Baptism, is, 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 the Bible says, is uh, important because the world is watching. And so what has been done privately in my heart the inward work of God in me becomes public when I'm baptized. Uh, baptism is what separates the tire kickers from the real buyers. Baptism is the chance for a person to enter the waters and to say, I have come to know Christ as my Savior, and I am committed before you, before the world that's watching, to follow Him all the days of my life. Now, we do this for a number of reasons. One, because the Lord set the example. Jesus Christ uh, set the example in Matthew chapter 3, uh, verses 16 through 17. Uh, the Bible describes how Jesus comes to John the Baptist uh, and insists when John wants to be baptized by Jesus, John insists that he be baptized by John. And what Scripture says is that when Jesus was baptized, immediately uh, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove, and he heard a voice from the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom, I'm well, in whom I am well pleased. If you doubt the Trinity, it's right there. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all at work in the baptism of Jesus Christ. But it's also about our identification with the work of Christ. So in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, Paul is talking here about the inward work of the Holy Spirit to baptize us into Christ. And he says, do, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now again, this verse is dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit inwardly in you when you come to know Christ. Baptism then, water baptism then, becomes a picture of our identification with Christ. It's not only after His example, but it shows that we've been identified with Him. Third, it's about obedience. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, when He's giving the Great Commission, uh, Behold, uh, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." Teaching them whatsoever, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them whatsoever things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So it's clear from Scripture that we can make no mistake, Jesus not only commands, but he expects that anyone who calls himself a follower of Christ uh, would prove it by being baptized publicly. There's no exceptions for the rich, there's no exceptions for uh, the introverted, we're all called to follow the example of Jesus Christ. And, and there's a few really important reasons why. Number one, as Chris alluded to, there's nothing I know of 
that gives life to the local church, like watching freshly redeemed lives identify publicly with the work of Jesus Christ. If you're not stoked this morning when you watch three people get baptized, there's something wrong with you, all right? You need a shot of something. Nothing is as encouraging to my faith as realizing God's still in the business of changing lives. It's just, it's just a motivational thing. But second, for the life of the Christ follower, baptism is considered the first step of obedience in following the Lord. Now, baptism can come later in life, and you may have been obeying God in a bunch of different areas. But in the order of things in Scripture, baptism is the first chance for you to obey Jesus. The stakes are huge here. You can obey in a lot of areas in private, and the enemy will be happy to leave you alone. To obey Jesus in public, to go on record, is a huge step for you. It's a watershed moment of spiritual growth. When you stand before people and you say, Jesus is my Lord, I'm going to follow Jesus all the days of my life. Not only do you have the affirmation of your faith from the church, which is important, we all need that, but also you're going to discover a whole vista of spiritual growth opens up to you just because you went on record. You're not keeping it private. And that's why baptism is so important. Now, I want to get us ready for baptism by asking and answering a few questions. The first is this. Is it more appropriate to baptize babies or people who are old enough to make a faith decision? Well, there's good people, well-intentioned people on both sides of the argument, but at Community Church... Uh, which is consistent with the vast majority of evangelical Protestantism, we believe that baptism rightly follows coming to know the Lord. A child can't understand, a baby can't understand that they're sinners. They can't appropriate, process the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and come to know him. So scriptures, I think, would teach us that it requires uh, not only mental acuity, but truth to be processed in order for us to come to the place where we place our faith in Christ. For the record... There are no infant baptisms in Scripture. Um, so for us uh, in our church, we would want people to know, and this is very important, because a lot of people are born into a tradition, and they might think they have something that they don't. You do not come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by rite or ritual. That's a work. Like even getting wet is a work. We come to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ through, by grace, through faith alone, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what necessarily follows then is the opportunity to live a life of obedience. Now, at our church, we celebrated on Mother's Day something we call parent-child dedication. In many cases, I think infant baptism was meant to be that. That it's really about a parent recognizing, God has given me this great stewardship in the life of my child, and I want to devote them kind of like Hannah with Samuel. I want to devote them, and more importantly, I want to devote myself to raising them in such a way that they will come to know the Lord, and then they can follow him in obedience by getting baptized and a host of other things. Uh, That's parent-child dedication. But baptism is, in scriptural understanding, what happens once we've come to know the Lord. It follows repenting, humbling myself before God, and trusting God, Uh, and God alone. So for the person, we have one this morning, who was raised in a tradition where they were sprinkled. Their testimony is uh, they came to know the Lord uh, at at some point later when they were old enough to understand that they were lost, that they needed Jesus. 
And so today, you know, after wrestling with it uh, over the years and in conversation with me, uh, they've come to the point of saying, you know what, I want to have it in the right order. So we would encourage the person with a story like that, that there's never a bad time to do the right thing. There's never a bad time to be motivated to say, you know what, I don't want there to be any mistaken. I want everybody to know I'm following Jesus. Second question, does baptism in and of itself save anybody? Resoundingly, if you hadn't caught it yet, no. This is just getting wet, okay? This isn't holy water. There's nothing, we didn't put anything in it. In fact, I don't, did we put chlorine in it? I hope. Okay, so we did chlorinate it. It's not warm. I'm a little upset about that. It's not special. But again, this is the importance of being clear on the order of how someone comes to God. Because the last thing I want to do is, by baptizing someone, lead them to think they have something if they don't have it. The only way for you to have it is for the Spirit of God to give it to you. And that starts inwardly in your heart long before it's ever outward. Okay? So no, the water doesn't save you. Salvation comes by relationship with God through Jesus Christ and Him alone. I want to ask Val and the band to make their way up. Next question, what if a person claims to be a Christian but refuses to be baptized? So let me get this right. Jesus Christ left the splendors of heaven, clothed himself in flesh, trusted himself teenage mother, lived a life he didn't have to live, went through all that he went through, gets to the last week of his life, is arrested, beaten without cause, tortured on your account, and gives his life a ransom for many, and then he asks you to follow him in the example of baptism, and you're abstaining. I don't have categories for that. What I can tell you is, the more you fall in love with Jesus Christ, the more you will find yourself saying, I don't care what it is. I'll do it. I owe my life to him. Lock, stock, and barrel. If, there's, if he asks me to jump, I'm already in the air before I ask how high. He's my Lord, my leader. I don't understand the person who would say, in fact, I would say, I think over time you'll find yourself struggling to make that decision. Now, the thief on the cross never had an opportunity to be baptized. Never had an opportunity to join a church. He didn't go to a small group. Never gave a tithe check. Impossible to write. But I can tell you this. If the thief on the cross had been able to depart from his position, having been welcomed into paradise by Jesus, he would have rushed to the water. There's nothing he wouldn't have done to show his allegiance to Jesus. One of my good friends who died with cancer years ago um, is with the Lord now. He couldn't swim. And while I was his pastor, we would have conversations about it. He loved the Lord. He knew what the scripture said. He was one of our, uh, one of our key leaders but he was ter terrified of water. We finally got to the point, the Holy Spirit got him there, not me, where he said, you know what, I, I trust you to get me down there and bring me back up. And so I had the privilege of baptizing him. The reason why he couldn't let it go is because he didn't want there to be anything left on the table that Jesus might have said he should do that he didn't do. So if that's where you're at, like those who will be baptized this morning, my encouragement would be that you would take that step. Last two questions. Number one, it regards the depth uh, of the water or the mode, as it's called theologically. 
The word baptism, uh, baptizo, uh, means immersion. It's to dip under. So the form of baptism is symbolic for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's about being washed head to toe. Like, like you didn't just need a, a face cloth, you know. You, you, didn't need, you didn't just need your feet washed or, or maybe to wash your hands before. You, you needed it. I needed it head to toe. And baptism by immersion pictures that so aptly. Secondly, though, it's a picture of identification because inasmuch as I've been crucified with Christ, I'm buried with him and then I'm raised to new life. So you could be in a part of the world that was water-deprived, and if you had the heart to want to follow Jesus in baptism, and all we had was a bottle of Aquafina, I think we could honor the Lord by getting it done. But inasmuch as we have water, then this is just the best picture of what's happening to us when we follow Christ in baptism. Last, finally, where should I be baptized? Um, well, I think the best answer is you should be baptized in the place you call home, in your church home. Uh, in your church home is the place where your, this step of commitment can be celebrated best by those who know you and love you. So it's great to do it among family. Uh, there's also an accountability component. Uh, and your church is the place where you can be called on to live out your commitment. Where somebody might say, you know, Perry might say to me, hey, Larry, you know, you publicly identified with Christ. What's going on there? Is that really what the Lord wants for you? Well, all of us need that kind of accountability so that when we get here, that the way we're living, our walk and our wonder and our worship are actually honoring to our Lord. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. I'm going to run change. And then we're going to baptize. Father, thank you for these two great gifts. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And we just want to celebrate today, not only remembering what you've done for us and how everything has changed. God, for the one person who's here who doesn't know that, I, I pray that your spirit would move in their heart, that they would not leave without hope, that they would know that they matter immensely to you, that you love them so much despite their sin, that you provided a way that they could be forgiven and they could be your adopted daughter or adopted son. God, may those of us who've experienced that, may we be faithful to share the love of Jesus Christ with other people, that our worship and our wonder and our walk would just continue to increase as we follow hard after you. And then as a church father, as we have the privilege of celebrating life change, may we come around those who will be baptized this morning and we would, would pat them on the back and tell them we're proud of them and that we love them and call them brother and sister just, just to remind them of who they are in you and then, God, I would just ask boldly, in Christ's name, would you release us, Community Church, to a harvest of lost men and women, boys and girls, who desperately need to know the love of our Savior. And may we be a church. May you take us to a place where we're not content to set up a temporary hot tub, but we need a real baptistry. We need something permanent that doesn't obscure the worship leaders a place where people's lives can regularly be renewed in the waters of baptism. God, we love you. We worship you. We're privileged to watch you at work as you change lives and make all things new. In Christ's name, amen.